This is the sermon podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. This is Lord of Life. There is a place for you here. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. The Holy Gospel according to Mark, the third chapter. And the crowd came together again so that they could not even eat. When his family heard it, they went out to restrain him, for people were saying, He has gone out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, He has Beelzebul, and by the ruler of the demons he casts out demons. And he called them to him and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but his end has come. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his property without first tying up the strong man. Then indeed the house can be plundered. Truly, I tell you, people will be forgiven for their sins and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit can never have forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they had said, he has an unclean spirit. Then his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers and sisters are outside asking for you. And he replied, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. The Gospel of the Lord. There are lots of questions that can come from reading this text, and it's beyond me to answer them all. So I will be happy to chat with anybody who says, well, what about this, Pastor, that you didn't cover in this sermon? Uh, I'm sure you don't all want to hear all that. So we're going to start right off with remembering uh, the last time you were so busy that you missed a meal. So stressed that you didn't have time to eat when you worked through lunch, and that wasn't just to cut out the calories. When you missed a meal because you were late for a doctor's appointment, a school assignment deadline, an important meeting, a flight that you had to catch, even, heaven forbid, skipping breakfast to make it to church on time. And what child hasn't skipped breakfast on Christmas morning? Hmm. Now, there's a different kind of reason, isn't it? Then you will understand Mark's description as translated in the message. Jesus came home, and as usual, crowd gathered, so many making demands on him that there wasn't even time to eat. As the scene unfolds, his friends, thinking that he might be losing it under all the pressure, are trying to rescue him from the commotion, Religious leaders are questioning the possibility of his collusion with Satan, 
and family members stuck outside are appealing to his family loyalty to come out and assure them that he hasn't gone over the edge. So, there were fans of Jesus making demands for healing, friends of Jesus making demands for sanity, foes of Jesus making demands for religious purity, family of Jesus making demands for his loyalty. Fans and foes, friends and family, all wanting a piece of Jesus. Much of the pressure on Jesus was coming from the idea his friends and family were getting that this new lifestyle of his was making him mentally or emotionally unbalanced. His friends heard what was going on, Mark says, and went to rescue him by force if necessary. His mother, sisters, and brothers were there for the same reason. People were saying, he's gone out of his mind. Religious leaders from Jerusalem added to the commotion by accusing him of being in collusion with the devil. Think about it. This all happens in the third chapter of Mark at the beginning of his ministry. At the mature age of 30, Jesus had made a radical career change from carpenter to what looked like a nomadic, wandering teacher or rabbi. From running a business in the Nazareth Yellow Pages to, in his own words, one who has nowhere to lay his head. From a steady income to relying on the support of friends and strangers. From an ordinary citizen known to very few in a little village in the hill country of Galilee to someone who had a compelling message, healed the sick, cast out demons, and attracted more fans than Tiger and LeBron put together. This is a rapid, radical change, maybe not for Jesus, but for his observers. He has just chosen his 12 disciples in the verses immediately before our reading. Fishermen and tax collectors and ordinary guys who don't really have their feet on the ground yet. Can you see how difficult and how challenging it must have been for fans and foes, friends and family to get their heads around what they were seeing and hearing from Jesus. It's understandable that they wondered if he was maybe losing it. Of course, it was challenging not only for them, but in another way also for Jesus. Remember, he was both God and human and was vulnerable to everything that comes with that humanity. He endures and survives the struggle and temptations of Satan, But he also gets angry and frustrated by the hypocrisy and arrogance of the religious leaders. And he's baffled by the disciples' inability to get straight what the kingdom of God is all about. Just as Jesus becomes immersed in the human condition with all of its complications and messiness, stresses and dilemmas, besieged by fans and foes, friends and family, so he could reach out with understanding and love and compassion and encouragement to lift people up even as he acquainted and taught them what life in the kingdom of God was all about. That good news that brought the love of God close to the hearts of the multitudes has not changed one iota today. Even as we continue to face the challenges that cause us not only to miss meals, but that also raised stress levels and blood pressure readings 
and affect relationships with others and even with our own selves as recent suicides in the news reveal to us. These vulnerabilities of the human condition, Jesus gets it. He's been there, done that. He knows what he's talking about when he invites those who are weary and heavy laden to come to him for R&R. He knows how mothers seeking a blessing for their children feel when they are pushed away. He weeps at the death of his friend Lazarus. Ultimately, and most important of all, in Gethsemane, he agonizes over his father's plan for him to bear the sin of all humanity and the words, not my will, but thine be done, are spoken. And on the cross, he's left abandoned to die with the words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But on Sunday, it's the cross that is abandoned, and the one who is nailed to it is now Jesus Christ, alive in resurrection glory. The humanity for which he died is now a humanity restored, redeemed, and forgiven. This humanity is you, me, those of us who've taken up the empty seats this morning. So the cross and death, no longer the end of the road for a restored humanity or for any one of us. What encouraging words Paul writes in the second lesson today, able to say even through his suffering in prison, so we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. Because he saw in his suffering a deeper purpose that kept him going, and it's that purpose that keeps us going as well. So that grace, Paul says, as it extends to more and more people, may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. That's why we don't lose heart, because through us, the grace and love of God is reaching others. As many of you know, I am recovering from what unexpectedly was to be a minor repair job and went to a six-hour major surgery on an aneurysm just over a month ago. Thank God everything is fine except for the baggy clothes that I have to wear. And the blessing of it is not only a return to physical health, but it is a witness to answered prayer and gives me the opportunity to, in this situation, to say thank you so much to all of you for your prayers and personally, prayers offered personally and offered up as intercessory prayers from this very altar. They did work. And as long as we're talking about congregational ministry and prayer, this might be a good time to consider our greater ministry as a congregation in an interim situation. In God's good time, a new pastor will be dealing with his or her pressures of a new pastorate here at Lord of Life, which I'm thinking may bring times he or she will be too busy to eat. Hopefully not because of stress, but rather because of enthusiasm and initiative and promise. Good things will happen. I say this because I'm sure that even though the demands on Jesus from fans and foes, friends and family were great, there must have been times when Jesus got a tremendous kick out of what he was accomplishing. Connecting with the woman at the well, 
watching the wax drop from the hands of those who couldn't cast the first stone in the New Testament equivalent of the Stormy Daniels affair. Zacchaeus jumping down from the tree. Little Tabitha sitting up to eat pizza after Jesus calls her back from death. A blind man washing mud out of his eyes with joy. And it goes on and on. It didn't stop there, though. My first call was to a small town in the Cascade Mountains of Oregon. On the night of seminary baccalaureate, the church burned to the ground. The second half of my call was to begin a mission congregation 35 miles away at the beginning of the second year. But on the very first Sunday we were there, a small group showed up from that community with the invitation, Hey, Pastor, we're ready to start as soon as you are. Strangely enough, instead of freaking out like any normal person should or would have done, with the help of the Spirit, enthusiastic members from both churches, stress was replaced by spiritual adrenaline and excitement to hit the ground running and see what the Spirit had in store for us. You know, that was not so much unlike the child's desire to skip breakfast on a Christmas morning. In the meantime, as Paul says, we do not lose heart, so that grace, as it extends to more and more people, may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Even in the interim, grace increases. The mission of reaching out with God's love continues. Consider the many ways, once again, as we need to, and are often reminded, how the Spirit works at Lord of Life gifted and dedicated lay leadership on the search committee, a church council that is dedicated and committed, a staff and a support staff, and the many, many volunteers that are active not only on Sunday but throughout the week, an interim pastor who brings many gifts to the table, the power and presence of the Spirit who inspires and surprises through worship, through prayer, through music, through words of liturgy, through bread and wine, through hands and hugs, friends and fellowship, through visual arts, especially this heart over my head this morning reminding us that the hearts of many people come together to express and embody the greater heart of God and his love. A love that through each little heart, not staying here, but going out into the nooks and crannies of life, reaches into the lives of many more people than those who see this cross, this heart every Sunday. So, my friends, let's make the words of Paul the words and faith of Lord of Life and of each one of us. We do not lose heart. We may not be too busy to eat today, but in the meantime, we do not lose heart. Amen. Peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ. Amen.